Hello, you're listening to a Zen Studies Society podcast. To learn more about our community of Zen Buddhist practitioners, please visit zenstudies.org. いちじょしかばねをさしてそうていにっていわくしかばねしゃりにありにんいずれのところをむかってかさるなかにいちあねあっていわくそうもそうもそうていたいかんち Entangling Vines, Case 38. The wise women in the mortuary grove. Once, at the time of the Buddha, seven wise women were taking a walk through a mortuary grove. One pointed to a corpse and asked the others, the corpse is here, but where has the person gone? One of the other women asked, how about it? How about it? The other women all saw clearly and each attained enlightenment. Day one of the Golden Wind Session. Time flies like an arrow, just as we chanted a few seconds ago. Koin Yano Gotoshi. Autumn reminds us with its golden wind. That impermanence is the name of this world. It seems at times when we look at impermanence, when we see it, that it's always about loss having to let go of this or that, 
and way too often it is overlooked that it is the very letting go that is required for the space and time to come into existence and to unfold for that what is Today, I find myself speaking about a koan that has absolutely no named ancestors in it. And it is refreshing. No information gathered from the Keito Dentoroku that has all the ancient masters life stories in it. In fact, most of the koans that we talk about are taken from anecdotes and stories in this Keito Dento Roku. But today, no, no need. Seison, the world honored one appears and it is interesting to find a koan that has the world honored one, even without naming the specific name of the incarnation, of the name by which he, she, they appeared at the time of this story. It is also really, really nice to be able to encounter a koan in which the main protagonists are women. There are not too many to be found that are just like this. And we all know from looking at the history of this tradition that there are very, very few places in which the specific name of specific women are mentioned. So this is a wonderful place to acknowledge that of course, in the teaching of the Buddha, as well as in this tradition, women, as well as men, and anybody, by whatever pronouns they may refer to themselves, we all are essential for this teaching. The fact that the names of more men are written down just points to the human spirit of being one-sided. But if there is one thing that we have to learn, one Letting go that comes with this practice is letting go of leaving out. All inclusive. In order to become complete, no thing, nobody can be left out.
of course, we all know that bhikkhunis at the time of the historical Buddha were as numerous as bhikshus. And in the modern times, here in the West and the United States, Zen did not come without instrumental help from female practitioners, female seekers, female teachers. Ida Russell was the first American Zen student. We all have heard about Ruth Strout McCandless and what important role she played in the life of Nyogen Senzaki. A little later, Ruth Fuller Sasaki in New York City was the first Zen Institute of America that after her was taken care of for so many years by Mary Farkas. But not only Rinzai women, also mixed traditions and Soto tradition has many wonderful examples that there is no distinction in wisdom. Joe Kopeck, Tony Packer, and of course, very close to all of us and to this tradition, Mjorn Chico, Maureen Stewart, who was a preceding abbot at the Cambridge Buddhist Association, where in 2010, for the first time, Shingeroshi appeared and I had the privilege to meet her. So there are plenty of women who ought to be named and so many nameless without whom and without whose practice and work, none of this would be unfolding at this moment. In the koan world and in the world of Zen stories, often we encounter nameless women, nameless as caretakers of tea houses, as caretakers of inns, of snack shops, usually on a road that leads to some place of pilgrimage frequented by monks and wandering masters in their pilgrimage, Angya. And these nameless women, ordained or not, often leave those monks dumbfounded, stopped dead in their tracks with a wisdom that has a distinct and subtle 
quality other than that of male wisdom. And today, the koan speaks about seven, seven of these women. It is an interesting story that we encounter here. And it goes back to a sutra, a sutra that is called the Seven Women's Sutra. Actually, there are several places in the whole corpus of the sutras in which this story appears. It is said that seven princesses who studied and followed the Dharma asked one day to leave the palace and walk among the burial grounds. They were not just grounds. In those times in India, the corpses were laid on top of mounds of earth. So they would be lifted up from the ground in the sunlight and accessible to various creatures, winged, legged, or some that we can't see with our bare eyes. So the king learned about it and he asked the princesses, why, why is it that you had to go and look and smell and experience that that is not beautiful, that that is not life. And in some of the descriptions, it is quite graphic, the smell. I don't know about you, if you had ever the opportunity to actually smell what a rotting corpse smells like. If you have, as I have, you will certainly never forget. The women replied to the king and they said that beautiful sights and delicious flavors ultimately bring no benefit but that they have come to the understanding that death is something that everyone must face. That's why they left the palace and walked among the corpses. And each of them wrote a poem, a verse, on the reality of death. In a legend version of the story, we learn that these verses were so powerful that they garnered the admiration of Indra, who said he would grant each of them a wish. One of the women asked 
to be born in a tree without roots, branches, or leaves. One has to be born in a formless palace, in a place prior to yin and yang. And another one has to be born in a mountain valley that would not echo when you shout into it. Maybe one of them would have asked for a seamless pagoda. Indra, all powerful as the chief God, had to admit that it was even beyond his power to grant these wishes. And so the women continued to study the Dharma under Kashyapa Buddha. It's a wonderful story. And I'm sure in the same way that I am reminded of the Buddha leaving the palace, going out and encountering sickness, old age, death, but also a wise person, a wise man, a wise woman, a wise being. The leaving of one's palace with the nice smells, the beautiful adornments and sights, the cozy cloth, a bed not too hot, not too cold. That process of leaving the home is central in the Buddhist context of engaging in the investigation of this world. And here the princesses, even temporarily leaving the palace, showed it to us. The koan is also quite similar uh, to another koan in, in its gist. Because when one of the women points at the corpse and says, oh, clearly the corpse is here. <laughs> you can smell it, you can see it, you could touch it if you wanted. Where has the person gone? What happens with death? Where has the person gone? And one of the other women, how did she answer? So more, so more. How about it? How about it? If you have encountered case 55 of the Blue Cliff record, you will find a very similar setup 
in the Koan Dogo, the teacher and his I would not tell you. In the main subject, it says, one day Dogo, accompanied by his disciple Zengen, went to visit a family in which a funeral was to take place in order to express sympathy. Zengen touched the coffin and said, tell me, please, is this life or is this death? Dogo said, I would not tell you whether it is life or death. Zengen said, why don't you tell me? Dogo said, no, I would not tell you. On their way home, Zengen said, Osho, please be kind enough to tell me. If not, I will hit you. Dogo, the teacher, said, strike me if you like, but I would not tell you. Zengen, the disciple, struck Dogo. Later, Dogo passed away. Zengen came to Sekiso and told him the story. Sekiso said, I would not tell you whether it is life or it is death. Zengen said, why don't you tell me? Sekiso said, no. I would not tell you. Upon these words, Zengen attained sudden realization. Where has the person gone? How about it? How about it? We all come to this practice for our own conditioned causes. And we bring questions. So is it life or is it death? Where does the person go? We all sit here as individual peaks having to do this work all for ourselves. Yes, of course, we would like some help. But you might have figured out sooner or later that tell me, tell me, doesn't really cut it. There are all kinds of ways to get some temporary relief from the urgency of these questions by believing in this teaching or believing in that teaching. And that is perfectly fine. But for some of us human beings, it's not enough to have a belief. We have to know for ourselves. And for that reason, we undertake a pilgrimage that seems to be littered with adversity, steep ascents 
steep drops, chasms that seem we cannot get over. But we continue and we continue and we continue. Hakuin Eikaku Zenji, who we all know as the reformer of the Rinzai school in the 17th century in Japan, and an ancestor to all living Japanese Rinzai lineages. His comment on case 55 of the Blue Cliff record is quite interesting. Here is what Hakuin says. Alive, dead, Buddha spoke of not being born and not passing away. What about you? Dogo won't say alive. Dogo won't say dead. He presents a pearl that lights up the night along with a tray and all. If it were up to me, I'd say, are you alive or dead? Why won't you say? The fool thought the teacher wouldn't say because he was keeping it a secret. Tell me at once. What a bunch of hopeless cathedral pigeon shit. Sekiso also said, I won't say. He is extremely kind. Gentle beings have the same manners everywhere. He presents a pearl that lights up the night, tray, and all. These are the words, the commentary by Hakuin on this topic. Death, life, dying, birth, light, dark, Duality abound. Reification, making into a thing, death. Making into an idea, life and living. Our life teaches us. Recently, on the occasion of the 20th, anniversary or the 20th commemoration of the 9-11 terror attacks, a construction worker was interviewed who came to New York City to work in the rubble of the World Trade Center because he could not not help. Here's an interesting thing that he said. 
that he expressed. He expressed, well, you know, most people would think after an experience like this to go and say, oh, one only lives once. But I say, that's not true. You only die once and you have to live every day. There is natural wisdom in this, in this maturation towards the deep penetration with dying and being born. Of course, we as Zen practitioners have to go even further. And we would say that, well, yes, you have to live every day and you have to die every day. The only fear of death comes from a fixated idea of what life is, who we are, what ought to be, what ought not to be. The clinging to one side of that what is expressed in dualistic fashion in our flat world of human thinking. But in experience, in Zazen, with our breath, we completely give away whichever direction it may be. And our exhalation lives fully and dies fully and then resurrects. lives again completely to the utmost and dies completely and resurrects. Death is the great equalizer, not only in the sense of a human lifespan that it doesn't matter what the color of our skin may be, how much money we have in our bank or what we don't have. But that is just a macro understanding. Death and dying is what we become intimate with in this practice over and over again. After you die, how do you resurrect? You might wonder how come these words are used, resurrection. But it's a big topic. World religions pick it up in all different kinds of contexts. If we are speaking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, or if we talk about the appearing and disappearing in the way we do. Hachiman Shisen, 84,000, 84,000 times every second we die 
and are reborn. Transmigration, reincarnation. We learn to see it first in very large strokes. Oh yeah, birth, death. But then also sleep, disappearance, <sighs> awakening. The world comes into existence again. In Zazen, we might reach the experience of Shinjin Datsudaku that Dogen Zenji writes about. The falling off of body and mind. So, death becomes our friend. Dying becomes equally our activity as living. Only a fixated self will fear, and it fears with good reason, because it cannot and it does not persist. And that is also something that we find out in our practice. The great Bengali poet, Rabindranath Tagore, wrote a set of poems that's called Gitanjali. And as we meet death, He did as well. Here is his expression. Death, thy servant is at my door. He has crossed the unknown sea and brought thy call to my home. The night is dark and my heart is fearful. Yet I will take up the lamp, open my gates and bow to him my welcome. It is thy messenger who stands at my door. I will worship him with folded hands and with tears. I will worship him placing at his feet the treasure of my heart. He will go back with his errand done, leaving a dark shadow on my morning. And in my desolate home, only my forlorn self will remain as my last offering to thee. When the golden wind blows, the leaves rustle,
and the messenger of death knocks on your door. Take the lamp, shine it upon death, invite death in. With folded hands and tears, surrender, offer what is most dear to your heart. And lastly, give away the forlorn self. And again, we will rise together, reborn refreshed and new, never repetitive, and live up to our task of living fully and dying fully in every moment that, that unfolds right in this this has been a zen study society podcast if you found it to be of interest please consider making a donation by visiting zenstudies.org/donate thank you for listening